Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. On the matter of taking foreign dirt, President Trump just made things a whole lot muddier. Lead starts right now. If you don't listen to the dirt, how do you know it's bad? That's what President Trump is now saying to justify his argument that taking information on his opponent from foreign governments and not calling the FBI necessarily is not a bad thing. Is President Trump telling Putin, call me maybe? Then, Kellyanne Conway under fire, an independent government agency recommending that she be fired for politicking on the taxpayer dime the president just weighed in. What did he have to say? Then they were told their drinking water was safe despite massive contamination. And now the wheels of justice seemingly at a standstill as all of the charges against Flint City officials are dropped. The city's mayor will join us live. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. We begin with our politics lead, President Trump, bringing in his 73rd birthday at the White House today, gifted with 50 minutes on his favorite channel, of largely unchallenged, freewheeling opportunities to attack foes and air grievances. Happy birthday, Mr. President. The president taking the opportunity to try and clean up that statement that even many Republican officials found wrong and outrageous, that he would theoretically openly welcome and accept dirt on a political opponent provided by a foreign government and that he would not necessarily call the FBI, national security experts from both parties, as well as a bipartisan chorus on Capitol Hill, condemned the sentiment behind the president's remarks, though other Republicans, including the Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, acted as if it's no big deal for the president of the United States to tell the world he thinks there's nothing wrong with such collusion. Just minutes ago, one of the Democratic presidential candidates, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, told me that he's concerned that this will not just be a theoretical discussion for President Trump. Are you worried that President Trump will take will accept help from foreign intelligence services, foreign governments? Well, he just said as much, which is, uh, of course, increasingly worrisome, uh, extremely worrisome. Uh, But, of course, we shouldn't be surprised. CNN's Abby Phillip now kicks off our coverage from 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. President Trump marking his 73rd birthday with a cleanup call on his favorite morning TV show, attempting to explain his controversial claim that he would accept dirt on a political opponent from a foreign government. I think it was accurately stated, and I've had a lot of support. Well, then clarify it. Yeah, I mean, I've had a lot of support. A day after receiving blowback from both Democrats and some Republicans, Trump attempted to clarify with one part double down. And of course you have to look at it because if you don't look at it, you're not going to know if it's bad. And one part walk back. But of course you give it to the FBI or report it to the attorney general or somebody uh, like that. Trump even expanding on his claim that a foreign government's attempt to interfere in a campaign is similar to his conversations with world leaders. I had dinner with the Queen. I met with the Prime Minister of the UK. I was with the head of France. I was with the head of all these nations, and I constantly am, constantly talking to them. 
Uh, am I supposed to put, you know, the president of France, am I supposed to report him to the FBI? We took swift action. But as Trump tap danced around his original claim, he may have made matters worse, now insisting that he should sit down with the foreign government offering political help to listen first. If you don't hear what it is, uh, you're not right. going to know what it is. I mean, That's how can right. you report how something? How do you know it's bad you if you don't listen to it? So, Mr. President, I... No, I, no, they say, oh, no. he would he would accept it. Well, if I don't listen... You're not going to know. All this prompting an extraordinary rebuke from the Democratic Federal Election Commission chair, Ellen Weintraub, who wrote in a statement, let me make something 100 percent clear to the American public or anyone running for public office. It is illegal to solicit, accept or receive anything of value from a foreign national in connection with a U.S. election. This is not a novel concept. And even though Russia did offer the Trump campaign political dirt in 2016, Trump is now claiming that he would never face that choice. I don't think anybody would present me with anything bad because they know how much I love this country. Nobody's going to present me with anything. President Trump called the Russian investigation the worst political scandal in the country's history. But in this lengthy interview on Fox today, he did not say anything about actual Russian interference in the 2016 election. Nothing really to condemn it, Jake. Abby Phillip at the White House, thanks so much. Uh, let's chew over this uh, with our experts. Um, did the president's clarification clarify anything for you, Bill? Yeah, it clarified that he's fine with foreign governments approaching people in campaigns with information. He's going to look at it and decide whether it's somehow corrupt or not. That's unbelievable, right? Almost to go that far is unbelievable, right? You, shouldn't you just say, no, thank you, and call the FBI the next moment? Just remember, though, what is this based on? In 2016, his son got an email saying, the Russian government's interested in basically in helping your father, and we have some information. And Donald Trump... Dirt Jr., on Hillary Clinton, yeah. Dirt on Hillary Clinton. Like, and Donald Trump Jr. emailed back, what is it? If, if, if it's what you say, I love it. Right. Especially later. And Donald Especially Trump, later in the summer. Yeah. Donald Trump, President Donald Trump, has never, ever denounced that, said that was the wrong thing to do, that that was a mistake, he wishes his son hadn't said it. That's what they believe is the right thing to do. A foreign, hostile foreign government, not just a random, the Trump people are trying to say, well, would you take some random person of another nationality, you know, violence shows up somewhere, it has something. That's not what it was. It was the government of Russia, and they welcomed it. But even during the campaign in 2016, remember, he was very public uh, about saying, hey, Russia, if you're out there, I'll take those emails. Right? right. And I mean, the other thing that's interesting about this, though, is that, you know, polling wise, most Americans know more about the second part of the report, the obstruction, not the first part. With the president talking about it so much, it's sort of getting us to revisit this whole question about collusion with the Russians and the Russian involvement. And I'll tell you the other thing. LawWorks came out with a poll earlier this week. A majority of Americans actually don't think you should take information from a foreign government. That's, and let's just because Karen brought it up, uh, let's remind our viewers what the Republican nominee, uh, Trump, President Trump, now said in July 2016. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. Now, later, the president said he was just joking that wasn't meant to be taken seriously. But, Jeremy, it sounds like it's meant to be taken seriously. I mean, he's now basically of the position, no collusion, no collusion. Now he's saying 
yes, collusion, it's fine. Right. And, and what he's doing right now with his comments is essentially reiterating that Russia, if you're out there and you can find those emails, then find them, right? It's an invitation for other countries, foreign powers, potentially even those who are adversaries of the United States to come in uh, and essentially offer him information on his opponents, uh, suggesting that he would welcome it. And that's why I think fundamentally it's important to view the comments that the president made this morning, not as a walk back, but as an attempt to really muddy the waters here. Um, And either it's that he misunderstands what this actually entails, which seems unlikely, or it's the fact that he's simply trying to reframe this issue to try and justify his earlier comments, reframing this notion that you have to first look at the information, and if it's bad, then share it with the FBI, which actually would probably amount to more interference than anything else if, if you're sharing information from a foreign power that is somehow derogatory to try and spark an investigation. It, it raises a lot of questions. And, and Sungman, t- take a listen to the national press secretary for the president's re-election campaign, Kelly uh, McEnany, earlier. The president is our leader. We follow everything he says. As he said, a case-by-case basis, he said he would likely do both, listen to what they have to say, uh, but also report it to the FBI. The FBI has been pretty clear what they think should happen. You report it to the FBI and you're not allowed to accept this information. And by far, most Republicans on Capitol Hill have also said we would go to the FBI immediately and report it to them. But this, again, shows just how the president's comments, I mean, beyond the appropriateness of it, it also has put Republicans in a difficult position once again. I had a really interesting, brief but interesting conversation with Lindsey Graham about this yesterday when he said, you know, I talked to the president this morning to try to get a little bit of clarity on his comments and I explained to him these are the times when conversations with foreign officials are okay. You don't have to report it. But then if they're offering you something that's inappropriate, then you should report it. But it's just the fact that they have to have these conversations with the president of the United States is a fascinating dynamic. And they will not support legislation that would make this. Right. They would simply say very simple legislation. If, if an agent of a foreign government or someone you think is an agent of a foreign government approaches you in a campaign, for whatever reason, report it to the FBI. What's wrong with that? But they won't. Mitch McConnell won't bring it to the floor. Lindsey Graham won't put any pressure on Mitch McConnell to bring it to the floor. All these Republican senators, I'm sorry if I'm worked up about this, but are getting credit for, you know, five of them actually criticized sort of vaguely, mildly the president of the United States today with one or two sentences. They could actually do something about this, and they're unwilling to. But obviously, I think Mitch McConnell is, you know, he's politically astute man. He seems to believe that it benefits the Republican Party to not actually put forward any of this kind of legislation and to not put forward any kind of legislation that would protect our elections at this point. All right. Um, well, we're going to talk about Mitch McConnell uh, in a second. Uh, everyone stick around. Um, and you can see, by the way, my full interview with Mayor Pete Buttigieg this Sunday morning on CNN State of the Union, 9 a.m. and noon Eastern. Coming up, it's not exactly flattering. So why is Mitch McConnell embracing the new nickname, the Grim Reaper. That's next. Then, breaking news about the tanker attack in the Middle East. A U.S. official just telling CNN one of the Iranian boats fired a missile at an American drone before the attack. Stay with us. The case is closed. Why don't we move on? The case is closed, at least according to Republican Majority Leader Senator Mitch McConnell of Kentucky, who refused to criticize President Trump for saying he theoretically would welcome political dirt from a foreign government in 2020. As CNN's Sunland Serfati reports, the bigger issue might be that McConnell has shown hostility toward legislation that would tighten security in U.S. elections. They just can't let it go, Laura. You know, I said weeks ago, case closed. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell not just defending the president, but blaming Democrats who were astonished by Trump's comments about accepting dirt on political opponents from foreign governments. 
Would you answer that question that well, way? Well, he, he, gets, he gets picked at every day over every different aspect of it. But the fundamental point is they're trying to keep the 2016 election alive. In addition to changing the conversation for the president, McConnell has been cleaning house in the Senate, blocking votes on any bill he chooses. Since January, the Senate has only passed 21 of the 264 bills already passed by the House, which have become law. Two more were vetoed by the president. Some of the legislation passed includes back-paying federal workers during the government shutdown and a $19 billion disaster relief bill. But McConnell has also blocked multiple bipartisan bills, including a bill aimed at tightening security in U.S. elections. On Thursday, it was a bill from Democrats requiring political campaigns to report assistance offers from foreign nationals to the FBI, officially blocked by Republican Senator Marsha Blackburn. Presidential campaigns would have to worry about disclosure at a variety of levels. McConnell's killing of countless other bills has earned him a new nickname from Democrats. Leader McConnell, the Grim Reaper, is creating this graveyard. Leader McConnell seems to take great pride in calling himself the Grim Reaper. It's part of the pride he takes as leader of the Senate. It's a moniker McConnell does indeed seem to relish, even selling a Grim Reaper t-shirt on his campaign website. And McConnell had this to say a few months ago regarding some of the more progressive bills, including the Green New Deal and Medicare for All. Think of me as the Grim Reaper. None of that stuff is going to pass. None of it. The Senate Majority Leader, however, he has been focused on one of his biggest priorities, nominations and confirming conservatives uh, into judgeships. Now, McConnell notably is up for re-election in 2020, where, of course, it's seen uh, as potentially staying in President Trump's good graces. That's seen as being politically advantageous for him. Jake. All right. Sunlin Sarfati on Capitol Hill. Thanks so much. Uh, let's chew over this. Uh, Sungman, I get why he's proud, Senator McConnell. Uh, to be the Grim Reaper for the Green New Deal uh, mm -hmm. or for any progressive legislation. Uh, but why is he the Grim Reaper for bipartisan election security legislation? I mean, why would that be something he kills? I think he's so writ large. He has characterize everything that Democrats are pushing, everything particularly that the Democratic-led House is pushing as something that's tied to socialism, even if it's not necessarily the case, because that has been the broader Republican message leading up to 2020, not just from the, the President Trump's level, but down to the Senate races and down to the House races. And now um, Sunlin made a very good point that Mitch McConnell himself is up for re-election and going to, you know, as, you know, as far to the right as possible is politically advantageous to him. Now, my question is, do his... Uh, Republican members, particularly the ones who are running in these uh, at-risk uh, states. Susan Collins in Maine. Susan Collins and right. Cory Gardner. Ma do Martha they McSally start to Arizona, get yeah. uh, impatient with a lack of legislative accomplishments? Then McConnell might start to switch a little bit. But right now, we have seen no signs of that. But I think you can't underestimate the suppressive effect these things are having, right? We're not even talking about the fact that, for example, African-Americans were the ones who were targeted, largely targeted in 2016 by the Russians and the bots, right? So you have organizations like the NAACP actually trying to do workshops to train people. Here's how you protect your, you know, your elections and your communications because the federal government is doing nothing. I mean, there's such a concern about this and that nothing's happening. At the same time, people are talking about things like we should be doing paper ballots. What are Republican governors doing moving away from paper ballots? So I think, yes, there's this sort of legislative accomplishment piece, but there is also a real strategy, I think, that is about suppressing the vote in a way that 
I think they believe will actually benefit Republicans. Uh, Bill, um, House Speaker Pelosi tweeted out this photo of what she called McConnell's graveyard and referenced all the legislation. The Democrats pass in the House, it goes to the Senate, uh, and nothing ever, ever happens. Obviously, some of it is stuff that McConnell and Republicans would never support. But among, among them are bills like lowering prescription drug prices, which President Trump has talked about, uh, the reauthorization of the Violence Against Women Act, which used to be a fairly bipartisan piece of legislation. Why kill those? I don't understand, really, if, if it's something that, that could be bipartisan and could pass. Yeah, and somebody wants to open the door, though, to, well, some bipartisan things, then if they get one or two Republican co-sponsors, is it enough? And I think McConnell may just think tactically it's easier, as long as he's paying no price, and as long as you say his members are paying no price, to just shut the door on everything. But I do wonder if that's sustainable. I think the Democrats could do a much better job of highlighting these individual bills, not saying, I don't think it's very effective, 245 bills have been passed, who knows what that means, he's the Grim Reaper. Put up ads, put up ads saying Mitch McConnell has stopped this piece of legislation, which has bipartisan support, which a conservative senator, James Lankford from Oklahoma, has said is important for reason X, Y, and Z. They're not really putting much pressure, it doesn't, as much pressure as they could, I think, on McConnell right now. And it does seem like the Democrats in the House are voting for a lot of bills that, will, that are obviously never going to become law, and that might be fun, and that might make them feel good, but at the end of the day, it's not actually legislating. Yeah, and I guess the question is also, will Democrats then use the argument that the president tried to make over the first couple of years of his presidency, which was Democrats are obstructionists, right? Will, will the Democrats take that and weaponize it against Republicans to say, look at all the bills that we've passed and, and that we've tried to push over uh, to, to the Senate where Republicans control things, where Mitch McConnell is refusing to take these bills uh, to the floor and bring them forward for a vote? I think that's an argument we could see from Democrats. And, and frankly, it was an argument that the president made fairly successfully to voters previously. Uh, and I think Democrats would also have a good amount of success making that same case. Everyone stick around. Breaking news in our world lead now. CNN is learning what Iranian boats were allegedly doing before the attack on two tankers in the Middle East. That's next. And we have some breaking news for you now in our world lead. New shocking details on what happened before two tankers in the Gulf of Oman were attacked. And now what was previously a war of words between President Trump and the Iranian regime now becoming potentially something far more dangerous. President Trump firmly blaming Iran for the attack on the two ships. The U.S. releasing this video to prove Iran is responsible. Officials say it shows Iranian boats removing an unexploded mine in the side of one of the ships. CNN's Barbara Starr has some stunning new reporting on what may have happened and what it means. In the hours just before the attack on two oil tankers, a U.S. drone flying overhead saw Iranian boats closing in on the tankers. Then Iran launched a surface-to-air missile at the American drone, but missed, a U.S. official tells CNN. The source did not say the drone captured the Iranian boats conducting an actual attack. Now at the Pentagon, tough words for Iran. We're making sure that General McKenzie and the Central Command has the resources and the support that they need to conduct their missions. But Iran doesn't seem to be backing off. More provocation. Iranian small boats are preventing tugboats from towing away one of the damaged tankers, a U.S. official says. President Trump, this time, believing the intelligence he has shown.
Iran did do it, and you know they did it because you saw the boat. U.S. officials pointing to these images as the proof. An Iranian boat coming alongside one of the two commercial tankers that had just been attacked in the Sea of Oman. Iranians trying to remove an unexploded mine, so no evidence is left behind, according to U.S. officials. Now President Trump is sounding a warning. We don't take it lightly, the, that I can tell you. Right now, U.S. policy is to maintain diplomatic and economic pressure on Tehran through sanctions. The focus for myself and Ambassador Bolton and Secretary Pompeo is to build international consensus to this international problem. Behind the scenes, all options are being reviewed. These unprovoked attacks present a clear threat to international peace and security, a blatant assault on the freedom of navigation, and an unacceptable campaign of escalating tension by Iran. And CNN has learned that another U.S. drone was shot down just days earlier by Iranian-backed rebels in Yemen. And to add to all of the confusion, one of the owners of one of the tankers says he doesn't even think his tanker was hit by a mine. Jake? Barbara Starr at the Pentagon for us. Thank you so much. And now breaking in our politics lead, we are learning that the Justice Department will respond today to Democrats in Congress after the Trump administration defied a subpoena of President Trump's tax return. CNN's Laura Jarrett's at the Justice Department for us now. And Laura, what are you hearing? Well, Jake, later today, the Justice Department is expected to release publicly an opinion from the Office of Legal Counsel, known as OLC over here, essentially supporting the Treasury Secretary's refusal to hand over President Trump's tax information. You recall the top Democrat on the House Ways and Means Committee, Richard Neal, has subpoenaed for about six years worth of Trump's personal and business-related tax information. He said that he needs it uh, in order to understand better the auditing process for presidents. The Treasury Secretary has defied that subpoena along with the IRS, essentially saying this is all politics. That's purely pretextual. So we now wait to see the written opinion from the Justice Department, as those agencies have previously said that they were relying on the Justice Department's advice. Jake. All right, Laura Jarrett, uh, thank you so much. Uh, We've got the lineup for the first Democratic debates, but already questions are being raised. If it's essentially been divided, even if it's just an accident, into the JV debate one night and the varsity another. And is Elizabeth Warren getting the shaft despite despite her rise in the polls? That's next. This afternoon, we're finally getting our first look at the lineups for the first Democratic debates. That's our 2020 lead today. Nearly every frontrunner in the polls will face off on the second night of debates, including Joe Biden, Senator Bernie Sanders, Senator Kamala Harris, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, the candidate whose star has been on the rise, however, Senator Elizabeth Warren, she is going to take the stage on night one. That's the luck of the draw or bad luck of the draw. And as CNN's Ryan Nobles reports, the Warren campaign remains focused on one simple phrase that they believe sums up her candidacy. For months, the nearly two dozen Democratic presidential contenders have spent their time drawing distinctions from afar. When it comes to health care, there is no middle ground. Today, they learned who they will be face to face with for the first debates. The first night will feature 10 candidates, including Elizabeth Warren, Beto O'Rourke, Cory Booker and Amy Klobuchar. Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, Pete Buttigieg, and Kamala Harris are among those going on the second night. 
I got a lot of plans, so let me just mention a few. Elizabeth Warren calling the debate an opportunity to discuss my plans. And the Massachusetts senator's I have a plan for that strategy appears to be paying off as national and early state polls show her jockeying with Sanders for second place behind Biden. Today, Warren unveiled another proposal, this one aimed at empowering minority entrepreneurship. She told voters in New Hampshire that her recent success is about making direct connections with voters. We're going to get some more people, one at a time, two at a time, five at a time. That's why I'm working on a grassroots movement here. But for now, Biden remains the leader of the pack and is keeping his focus on President Trump releasing a video calling out the president over foreign interference in U.S. elections. Donald Trump doesn't think it matters if candidates for presidency accept damaging information on other opponents from foreign governments. I believe he's dead wrong. And the president appears to be keeping his eye on Biden. Everybody knows Joe is, is, doesn't have it. And the rest of the Democratic field, including Warren. I would love to run against her. I see that Bernie Sanders is not doing well at all. I would have, frankly, liked to have run against. I don't see the other ones. They talk about Kamala. I don't see Kamala. I don't see, uh, I think it's probably between the three of them. Air Pete, I don't see at all. I think that's a joke. And while all the campaigns are spinning how the debate lineups are great for their candidates, it will still be difficult to prepare for and then stand out in a massive crowd of 10 debate participants. Jake, as one campaign told me today, quote, there's only so much substance you can get into when you only have a few minutes to speak. It's true. All right, Ryan, thank you so much. Uh, let's uh, chat about this. But, but I, I do want to start with uh, something uh, very interesting. Uh, you might remember a few weeks ago, the New York Times reported that there were these internal Trump campaign polls showing uh, the president losing to Joe Biden in states he needs to win, like Pennsylvania or Wisconsin. And President Trump took to Twitter and went on interviews and talked about no polls. It's phony. It's fake. It's made up. Well, ABC News actually got their hands on it. And now the Trump campaign is acknowledging these internal polls from March showing Trump uh, losing resoundingly to Biden in states such as Pennsylvania and, and Wisconsin. I mean, once again, the president says it's not true and it's true. Yeah, uh, that's right. And for a while, the president and his campaign couldn't quite decide whether they wanted to say that the polls were being misinterpreted or that they were old or that they were fake or whatever it was. And now they're finally settling on, OK, they were old, but we have new polls now. And the new polls that they're pointing to are issue polls, which means that they're asking voters leading questions like, do you think that it's you know, a good idea for undocumented immigrants to get free health care? That's one of the uh, polls, polling questions that the campaign manager, Brad Parscale, pointed to in this statement. Um, that obviously doesn't mean that the president is winning in the state in which that was polled, because races aren't just about one issue and certainly not one person who's going to frame uh, that issue. But again, it just gets to the notion of why is the president so adamant about denying the existence of these polls or that he's losing in these polls. I mean, all we have to do is look at the public polling in all of these states that shows the president in hypothetical head-to-head matchups lagging, losing uh, in, in those key Rust Belt states that were so crucial, of course, to his 2016 election. And Sungman, I, I've heard people theorize, uh, smart reporter types, that one of the reasons that these polls keep being mentioned to the press, and what perhaps, we don't know, one of the reasons why somebody leaked it to ABC News is because these are people who want the president to be reelected, who want, are trying to get his attention, hey, watch out, you're in trouble here, and maybe even trying to get him to change some of his uh, erratic behavior. 
And also remember that the president is constantly elevating Biden because he keeps saying that he wants to run against him when we've seen, at least from the early port, or early polling in these head-to-head matchups, that he does appear to be the stronger uh, general election candidate. I mean, we almost saw that kind of split-screen general, general election moment earlier this week in Iowa. And oftentimes, if you have a politician of one party weighing in the primary of another, you kind of want to elevate people who you think are weak. But clearly, what we've seen from the numbers, Biden does uh, appear to be very strong against him. And Trump just keeps pushing him up and making him seem inevitable at this point. Let's talk about the debates if we can. Uh, Warren tweeted today that she's looking forward to the upcoming Democratic debate. Uh, but in response to the lineup, uh, Josh Holmes, one of our Republican friends who comes on the show every now and then, tweeted, quote, despite assurances to the contrary, the Dems are in fact having a varsity and JV debate. If I were Warren, I'd be hot. Now, it was the luck of the draw, but it is true that of the four of the five frontrunners, four are there the second night. And Elizabeth Warren, sadly for her, perhaps, is there the first night. I think great for her. Great for are her. Are you kidding okay. me? She's got the first night all to herself. She'll probably. Well, there are nine other candidates. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Love, love. I'm just kidding. Yes, but she will she will have a, a strong opportunity to make her case, to talk about all of these various policy proposals. And I think it'll be, you know, look, I think for most of these candidates, right, they're all trying to figure out how they're going to use their time, because as they pointed out, they're not going to have a lot of time. Um, And I think most of them are going to try to appear presidential and sound like I've got ideas, I've got plans. It's not just Joe Biden who can beat this guy. Right. And so for if I Elizabeth Warren, I will enjoy having that first night without sort of the noise of some of the those other front runners and being able to just put forward her ideas. There has been some criticism of uh, the DNC and the criteria through which they're, they're doing this. And in fact, it's been pointed out Steve Bullock, who is the governor of Montana, uh, the only Democratic governor running from a state that Trump won handily. Uh, he did not make the cutoff. Seth Moulton, congressman, Democrat from uh, from Massachusetts, uh, who has been, you know, received uh, medals and fought uh, valiantly uh, in Iraq. They didn't make the, the debate stage. But people who others might not know, Andrew Yang, uh, Marianne Williamson, they, they will be there. Yeah, and people who got 1.2 percent of the polls are making it, and people who and, and then 0.8 aren't, and everyone knows that's utterly meaningless. Honestly, I mean, literally, it's just one extra person said, yeah, literally, some poll, and you know uh, that he or she was for this candidate. I actually think Moulton and Bullock actually have a bit of a chance to say, you know what, we didn't make it, fine. That's the way the cookie crumbled. But why don't I'm going to do, you know, do some stunt, right? Do eight town halls the day before or something. You'll get infinitely more time. You probably get as much time. Do it in Iowa and New Hampshire, which are the states that matter. This is not a national primary that we have here in the United States. And I think they can sort of take advantage of this. And I agree with Karen. I, I think the, the conventional wisdom, some of that Warren got, gets hurt by this, I don't buy at all. She has a real opportunity on the first night to frame the, her key issues, I don't really see that those other candidates go after Elizabeth Warren that first night. They may go after Sanders if they want to show they're more moderate. They may go after Biden if they want to show they're more, you know, he's yesterday's story. And I think she has a pretty good shot to continue the momentum that she showed in the last month, which is pretty impressive. People are, we've commented on this show, but, you know, stepping back, if you had said three months ago that Elizabeth Warren would now be tied with or slightly ahead of Sanders in, I think, all the early states at this point, it's, it's, that's, that's impressive. And, and well, I think that we're all focused very much on kind of the head-to-head matchups and how that's going to play out on the debate stage. I also think that a lot of these candidates are really going to be trying to introduce themselves yeah. to exactly. the American public. And they may not want to go head-to-head or spar as much, um, but I guess we'll have to see. All right, everyone stick around. Coming up with criminal charges pending against eight officials for the Flint water crisis. Suddenly, all of the charges dropped. The investigation botched. A new outrage in a community that's already been victimized. We're going to talk to the mayor of Flint, Michigan, next. 
The National League now, the people of Flint, Michigan, say they are horrified again. This time it's because prosecutors dropped all criminal charges against the officials who had been accused of being at least partly responsible for their poisoned water. It's been four years since lead-tainted water was pumped through Flint, Michigan, which has a population just under 100,000. And prosecutors have linked at least 12 deaths to a disease caused by the contaminated water. The long-term health consequences remain unknown. Eight state and local officials were facing serious charges, ranging from involuntary manslaughter to obstruction of justice. But the attorney general's office says it was all mishandled and they dropped charges over a lack of confidence in the investigation. They have pledged to start over. The mayor of Flint, Karen Weaver, joins me now. Mayor Weaver, thanks for joining us. What was your reaction when you when you first learned that the attorney general was dropping all the charges? Well, you know, I got a call from the attorney general before that release went out. And one of the things they said to me, even uh, right after they got into office, was they didn't know that they had confidence in what had been done and that they thought there may be other evidence that needed to be looked at that had not been introduced. And they were uh, making sure that they were able to do that. One of the things they said was, uh, with the amount of evidence that was left out, and they said millions of documents and over 60 uh, devices that have not been looked at, that they felt like a new investigation needed to be done and needed to be reopened. And I'll tell you what I'm hoping is that this new evidence found will create culpability uh, that uh, people will be more than just charged, uh, that they'll also be convicted. So that's what I'm hoping happens as a result of of a new investigation. The people of Flint, Michigan, that your constituents, the ones that have had to deal with this for so long, uh, are they hearing your message that this might actually be ultimately good news? Uh, or are they despondent? Are they worried that no one is going to uh, be held accountable for this? Well, you know, we've always had concerns and wanted people to be held accountable. And that was why I wanted to explain to them, because the headline has been that charges have been dropped or dismissed. But I, I, I really do wish the headline had read that new evidence found creating culpability, which could lead to conviction. Because one of the things we have said is no one has been held accountable for this criminal activity that took place in Flint. You said people have died as a result of this. And, and while charges have been brought, there hasn't been enough evidence to convict anybody. And we know there should be evidence. And when they said they found the amount of, of uh, documents that had not been looked at, that's very troublesome to us. And while one of the things I, I've told people is we recognize that the wheels of justice move slowly, but it's like the attorney general said, justice delayed does not mean justice denied. And I'd like them to be able to introduce all of the evidence and hold people accountable and get some people convicted for what happened in Flint. Well, we sure hope that, that your positive interpretation of this is what's actually going to happen. Before you go, I just want to ask you, Madam Mayor, how is the water in Flint today? You know, we've made a lot of progress with the water. The water tests good. We are ahead of schedule. We'll be finishing with this lead service line replacement by early fall. But until we get everything we need from the from the state government, which is new fixtures for people's home, I am advising people to stay on bottled and filtered water until all of the we make sure we have all of the lead out of Flint and that our medical community, our public health, our scientists say they've seen uh, enough testing and they are ready to sign off. So I'm taking my lead from the from the health community and we're going to always put health above profit. And so that's who I'm leaning to. 
All right, Mayor Karen Weaver, God bless you. God bless the people of Flint. Please stay in touch with us. Uh, help us help you uh, make sure that people are held accountable for all this. Thank you so much. Coming up, Sarah Sanders might be leaving, but Kellyanne Conway, she's not going anywhere. Why her boss, the president, is ignoring a recommendation to say, you're fired. In our politics lead, President Trump is not going to fire senior counselor Kellyanne Conway, at least not now. He's rejecting a recommendation coming from an independent federal government agency to fire her for repeatedly violating the Hatch Act, which bans federal employees from playing an active role in a political campaign. The president disagrees, saying they are trying to take away Conway's First Amendment right. I got briefed on it yesterday, and it looks to me like they're trying to take away her right of free speech, and that's just not fair. No, I'm not going to fire her. I think she's a terrific person. Bill, is that what's happening? Is this about free speech? No, I was in the White House, and you're covered by the Hatch Act, and you get briefed on it, and then she violated it, apparently, and was cautioned, and then continued to violate But Trump has an interest in not, not holding people accountable for violating various ethical norms. The Office of Special Counsel specifically said that Conway violated the Hatch Act twice, both times from the White House lawn. She weighed in on the Alabama special election and why voters should not choose the Democrat, Doug Jones. Between those two times, she was reminded of the Hatch Act restrictions, and then she did it again which is why the agency recommended her firing. Here she is just a few weeks ago. If you're trying to silence me through the Hatch Act, it's not going to work. Let me know when the jail sentence starts. Yeah, let me know when the j- I mean, look, this is a problem with the Hatch Act, too. There's no real enforcement mechanism other than OSC recommending to the president a certain action. They've recommended, and the president said, you know, I don't care. Well, maybe he should allow uh, Hope Hicks and Don McGahn to use their First Amendment rights to <laughs> speak to Congress. How about that? Well, that's a whole different thing. I know. <laughs> but uh, I remember during the Obama years, I think Sebelius, the HHS secretary, and Julian Castro, who's now running for president, and then the HUD secretary, they both were found in violation of the, uh, the Hatch Act. As I recall, they both apologized mm-hmm. and moved on. But what uh, Conway's done, I guess, is not apologize, but continue to violated. Exactly. And this obviously is by no means the first time that White House officials in this administration had been um, reprimanded under the Hatch Act. Last year, I believe there were about six White House officials who were reprimanded for using their official Twitter accounts for politicking messages. Obviously, Kellyanne Conway had been disciplined before. And the uh, the leader of the Office of the Special Counsel told us in an interview that it is unprecedented that we our office recommend firing someone, dismissing someone. But what Kellyanne Conway did is unprecedented. But there is this flouting of rules, as you said. We should note, by the way, that the president is not covered by the Hatch Act. He's, he or she is allowed to say or do whatever they want. And people sort of say, oh, what's well, Hatch Act's hard to enforce? But there, there's a principle behind it that's not ridiculous. It is taxpayer money. These are government jobs. Government resources shouldn't be used for partisan political campaigns. And that's why you get all these things where the president flies for a campaign appearance, the campaign reimburses for some of the costs. It gets complicated and there's a lot of fuzziness. But that's a pretty reasonable principle you want to uphold. Government is not the same as partisan politics. It's a principle the Trump administration doesn't believe in. Well, and again, I mean, I jest about uh, Don McGahn, but it, but it, it does go play to this idea that they sort of pick and choose which laws or rules they, that they decide they want to follow, and this idea that he's above the law. All right, everyone, thank you so much. Have a great weekend. Make sure you tune in to CNN tonight for a special report. Our own Kate Bennett has an inside look at the East Wing. And First Lady Melania Trump, it airs at 9 p.m. Eastern tonight. 
And then, of course, be sure to tune in to CNN this Sunday morning for State of the Union. You'll see my entire interview with the Democratic candidate, Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Plus, I'll talk to one of his opponents, former Congressman Beto O'Rourke of Texas. That's 9 a.m. and noon Eastern on Sunday. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever the social media lies, at Jake Tapper. Or you can tweet the show at the lead CNN. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. Have a great weekend. See you Sunday. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.